As we start the new year, I realized last year was January 1st, but uh, for many of us, I guess, probably getting our bearings and gearing on for the new year. Maybe you've had some time over this past week to, to seek the Lord, to quiet your heart a little bit, to get a sense of what the Lord would speak to you. I want to encourage us this morning as I share on a topic that basically has to do with how we, how we actually process or how God processes his promises in our lives so they become a reality. When we talk about God's promises, it's easy for that to kind of just go over our heads because we think about God's promises or those big things or, you know, things that are unattainable to me. But when we talk about God's promise, all his promise is is the word that he's speaking to you. In whatever area of your life it may be, it's that word of truth that comes into your spirit, that word of hope. It may be a scripture that you read. It may be something that you just feel the Holy Spirit drop into your heart at a given point in time, something to believe for, something to trust for, something he wants to change, break, heal, restore, whatever it may be. But the reason we call it a promise is because God's word is as good as done. You hear what I'm saying? When God speaks to you, it's a promise because it's going to happen. That's what he intends for you. As this video said, he doesn't bring empty promises. He doesn't give us false hope. He speaks to us. And he says, I see you. I see your need. I have something ready for you. I want to bring you into that. That's why I'm speaking to you right now. And so that's what we call it, the promise of the Lord. So I want to talk about how we move from that, or what is that process of actually moving into what the promise of the Lord has for us, what it is that he's speaking to us. Because there can be a temptation as we stand at the beginning of the new year, kind of like this crippled man, is rather than looking into the new year or this new season with a sense of hope or even resolution, determination, there can be more a sense of resignation that, you know, nothing's going to change. Or we might find ourselves saying, we, when we know the Lord is speaking to us, but our response can be, but Lord, I've tried. I've tried that. You know, it's been five times, ten times, whatever, and I always seem to land back where I am. And as I look at people around me, it always seems like there's others that are getting ahead of me. There's others that are doing better. Their life seems easier. Now, we don't know each other's circumstances. We can't get distracted by that, but it's easy for us to think that it's easier for someone else. And so we tend to kind of just settle. I want to read a scripture this morning that's found in Exodus 13, and the context is that God has delivered his people, Israel, from out of Egypt, where they've been slaves for hundreds of years, as most of you know, but he's bringing them to a land that he's prepared for them. But that land is presently occupied by a population, we don't know how many, perhaps hundreds of thousands of people who are already there. And they, of course, have to be driven out before Israel can take possession of the land. But the Lord shares an interesting principle that I want to use for the basis of what I want to share this morning. He says this in Exodus 23. He says to his people, speaking about driving the, the occupants out, I will not do it all in one year, for the land would become a wilderness, and the wild animals would become too many to control. But I will drive them out. Okay, get that in parentheses. I will drive them out, but here's how I'm going to do it a little at a time until your population has increased enough to fill the land. So what God is saying is that he has promised a land to his people, a region that his people are going to occupy when he brings them out of, of Egypt. But here's the important thing. He says, even while he spoke to them in Egypt and said, I have a land to promise for you, that land has already been set aside for them. And there's an important spiritual principle here. That is when God speaks to us, he is not going to speak to us or bring us from a place until he already has another place ready to go. 
That's why when he speaks to you, you don't have to listen to the lies of the enemy or your own self-doubt that says, how could this possibly happen? This is never going to change. My relationship's not going to change. My marriage, my children, whatever it may be. When the Lord comes to you, he doesn't come to frustrate you. You need to understand as you learn to recognize the voice of the Lord, when he's speaking to you, what is he saying? He's not just giving you the word. He's saying, it's time. It's time. Okay, I see where you are. I know how long you've been there. You've been having a lot of bad days. It's not that I haven't seen you, but the time hasn't been right. But now it's time. I have a place that I want to bring you. Do you believe me? That's what Jesus was saying to this man when he said, do you want to be healed? Anybody standing around might think, well, obviously he wants to be healed. No, you don't understand. You see, the Lord, and we all know this in our own lives, the Lord will speak to you, but because we've been in a situation or an attitude or predicament for so long, it could even just be a state of unbelief and spiritual apathy or a bad marriage, whatever it is. Because it's been so long, when the Lord speaks to us the first time, a lot of times we don't even hear him. We hear him, but we don't hear him. We hear him, but the word doesn't get into our heart. So the Lord says, do you want to be healed? And so maybe the first time we respond kind of cynically, do I want to be healed? Of course I want to be healed. I just don't expect to be. I just don't expect anything to change. So the Lord speaks again, do you want to be healed? And again, we have our reasons, we have our excuses, we have our, our scars, our history, whatever it is. But what are we doing? We're still sitting there on the mat. So he comes to us again. And this may be a day apart, a week apart, five years apart. He'll come to us again. Do you want to be healed? Until finally something in our spirit breaks and we cry out, yes, Lord, I want to be healed. Yes, Lord, I want to believe what you're saying to me. And the Lord says, okay, now let's go. So that's a principle he shares here in the book of Exodus in chapter 23. And I want us to understand the Lord says, listen, I know we know the scripture well, Jeremiah 29, 11. But I have a plan for you. You've got to get that into your head. I have a plan. I have specific things that I see in your life that I want to grow, that I want you to experience. In fact, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, that we are now regarded as children of the promise. You see, Jesus said there is a promised land that is waiting for you and me. And it's not just Beulah land that we sing about, as beautiful as it is, heaven one day. That's a wonderful promise we all have waiting for us. But the promised land he's speaking about to you and me is what he mentioned in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, the enemy, Satan, the thief, comes for one purpose. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come to give you life. But it's interesting he uses the word, I have come to give you life in all its what? Fullness. Remember that word this morning. I've come to give you life in all of its fullness. I've come to bring a satisfying life. So God commands his people to conquer and then to occupy the promised land. And when Jesus invites you and me into this abundant life, he is saying the same thing. He's saying, listen, as you walk with me, there are areas of your life where the enemy is having his own way. There's areas of your home where it seems like the enemy is having a heyday. There's areas where he's still occupying but you need to understand, you are my child. You are my son, my daughter. The promises of God are as good as done to those who believe. Now, don't get your eyes on all the areas where the enemy still occupies. Get your eyes on where I'm leading you. Little by little, bit by bit, together, we are going to drive the enemy out of your life. You are going to occupy territory that right now seems like you're never going to own. That's why when the Bible says, for example, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your house. 
That's why we can look at our situation. We can see our kids in rebellion. We can see a family, whatever it may be. And it's not just some cliche, some formula, but it's a promise of God that we stand on. And we say, Lord, I don't know your timing. I can see all the ears the enemy occupies. But Lord, you said, my house will serve you. And so I'm going to walk with you into that. And it may be 25 years. There are men and women of God who went to heaven not seeing their kids serve the Lord. But their prayers were never wasted. Revelation 5.8, the prayers of the saints are saved in a bowl. They're always before the Lord. And what happens? One day, the weight of those prayers tips the scale. Because the prayers of God's saints still work even after they're long gone in the presence of the Lord. So the point being that there is an abundance of life, a vastness, a largeness in every area of our life that the Lord has for us. But we need not be discouraged by what we don't see yet. We need to be encouraged by what the Lord has brought us into in Him and then learn to walk with the Lord. Day by day, step by step, decision by decision. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is not some mystical thing. It's hearing the voice of God, obeying Him. Next step, next step, next step. So the Lord has this process, and He says you will do that until you learn to occupy that new region that I'm opening up to you. The word occupy, of course, simply means to inhabit. When you inhabit a place, it simply means you're acquainted with it. You know your way around. For example, we get the same word occupation right? It's occupy. What's an occupation? An occupation is a field of expertise. It's a field where you have been trained. It's a field where you feel comfortable. Hopefully, when you're at your job, whether you enjoy it or not, hopefully you know how to function in it. So if you're in retail or something, somebody comes to you, you know, they, they ask a question, you don't go, I don't know. You know. And we've all had those experiences. So why are you working here? right? Because if it's your occupation, it becomes an area of expertise, an area that you can function in, that you're comfortable in, that you have some answers to. And so, as the scripture says, by growing a little at a time, Jesus says, you'll learn to occupy every area of the life, this abundant life that I have for you, rather than just having a faith that is weak or kind of erratic or unsatisfying. The Lord says, your faith will become established established. That's one of God's promises in 2 Thessalonians 3. He said, the Lord is faithful. He will establish you, and he will guard you against the evil one. So in a very practical way, let's say the Lord speaks to you something about a relationship, a particular relationship, maybe one at work that's not going well, maybe your spouse, whatever. The Lord speaks to you a word of hope. He speaks to you maybe a strategy. Maybe it's just dealing with your own heart. Hey, you're too proud, or whatever the case may be. You need to apologize, whatever it is. The Lord will begin to speak to you small steps. But as you walk in obedience, you begin to see his word come alive over time. And it begins to bring a release in that area. And what happens? Then you move into that area and you occupy it. That's why the scripture says that we need to be sure that we're standing firm once we have done everything we need to do that brought us there. You understand me? So don't slacken. When the, thing, the things the Lord has shown you, maybe he's shown you, for example, how to have a fulfilling relationship, you walk in that, but when you get there, you don't just then take it for granted, right? What do you do? You say, Lord, I'm going to take those principles you've taught me, I'm going to practice those on a regular basis, and make sure that this area of my life I am now occupying. It is fruitful, it is satisfying, and you enjoy it. And then as time goes by, you get a tap on the shoulder, and the Holy Spirit says, okay, let's go to this region. Okay. But see, what happens is as you learn to do that, you are building a testimony. 
a testimony of God's faithfulness, your heaven experience. That's why for so many believers, they don't find their Christian life satisfying. Why? Because they never grow. When push comes to shove, they stay on the mat. When Jesus speaks to them and push comes to shove, there's any resistance or takes any effort or discipline or whatever or just getting our own stinking flesh out of the way and to stop insisting on having our own way, what do we say? Oh, Jesus, I tried. It doesn't work. He says, no, no, you haven't tried. You've complained. Uh, you've compared yourself to others. But no, you haven't tried. Because if you would try, you'd be standing now. Because you see, I wouldn't have spoken this to you if I wasn't going to do it. You see, he's faithful to complete what he started, right, in us. So he doesn't come to frustrate us or give us false hope. He comes and says, listen, I see where you are. It's been a while, but in my timing, now's the time. So let's stand. Okay, Lord, I'm going to stand in that. You become established. You build a sense of confidence in that area, but just confidence in life in general. So the next time when the Lord says to stand again, you don't go, oh, I've tried. You go, oh, good, Lord, I'm excited. Where are we going now? It changes your mindset. Okay, so that's God's promise to us. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Now, here's a fun fact. When God had actually promised this land to his people, the entire territory measured about 300,000 square miles. But when Israel first went into the promised land, where they quit and decided to occupy was only 3,000 square miles. So 300,000 square miles is given to them, promised to them. God says it is yours. But they only actually occupy about 3,000 square miles. And as I read that, I wondered, I thought, Lord, if I could see with spiritual eyes, if there was a big x-ray machine that we could put on this platform, one at a time walk in front of it, I wonder what we'd see if somehow that machine would show us that compared to who we are in Christ, what it really means to be born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, a son and daughter of God, what it really means to understand the inheritance we have in Christ, the riches that are ours in Christ. I wonder in comparison to that vastness, could this machine show us what we're actually occupying? Where would we be? I've had some 50 years of walking with the Lord. Would I even have 3,000 square miles? Would I have three square miles? But I have 100,000 square miles, I don't know. But it makes me think, Lord, not just what I have. Hear me, saints, not just what I've come to know, not just what I've experienced, not just what I'm comfortable with, but where am I in comparison to what you have saved me for, for what you have won for me, and not just for myself, but what you want to flow through me. You know, I think sometimes we can be aware of just how much there is for us but we allow the devil to discourage us by getting us to focus on all that we're not, or at least what we're not yet. It's also one of the reasons why I think so many Christians settle for a really safe faith, a real sterile kind of theology. We justify our lack rather than embracing the largeness of what the Lord has for us. But how different might our lives be or those things that concern us most if instead we allowed the knowledge of all that there is in the Lord to actually motivate us to possess that, to actually step out, to actually experience what it is to know the fullness of Christ. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4, he said, I am still not all I should be. And just think of all that Paul was. But I am bringing all my energies to bear on this one thing. I'm forgetting the past. And I'm looking forward to what's ahead. 
And I want to encourage you, my friends, in 2023, I believe with all my heart, the Lord wants to do a work in our heart where he would not only say, listen, get out, but I want you to pick up 2022. Because you know what? You're not going back there anymore. That life is gone. That life is over. We're going this way. And I believe the Lord is looking for a people who would get on with their lives and stop laying down where whatever life has dealt us, and we just kind of park ourselves there. You see, humanly speaking, I'm sure most of us would probably think that, Lord, it would have been so much easier, wouldn't it, for your people if you had just driven out all the occupants of those 300,000 square miles, if you had just driven them all out, brought your people in, that way your people would never have to fight. But God, of course, is wise, and instead he chooses to vacate the land one section at a time. Why? So that the land is being cared for, so when his people actually get to those boundaries, because they're going to need food, they're going to need plants and uh, fields and everything else already in process there to survive. So he wants to keep those things intact so when they get there, he'll drive out the enemy in that region, but then his people can come and occupy and they can live off the bounty of the land. So that's why God, is re in his wisdom, wanted to drive them out a little at a time, bit by bit, as they walk with him. So what does he do? He allows the Canaanites, he allows the Perizzites, the Hittites, all those other countries, nations rather, peoples in that land to care for the land, so the land will be ready when his people get there, and the land will be ready for them. And God's plan works for you and me the exact same way. You see, what we tend to want to do is when we serve the Lord, Lord, I want all the good parts now. Right? Kind of like kids. I want dessert now. You know, no, the Lord says, no, no, you got to eat your vegetables first, then you're ready for the dessert. And there's, there's many things the Lord wants to give us, all those good things, but again, he wants in the journey to grow us and change us and shape us and strengthen us and develop things in us so that when we get to that place and occupy, we can appreciate where we are, what it means, how to operate in that, we're mature in that. And so there's a process the Lord wants us to submit to, but it's a process of a bit by bit by bit, those small, those small steps. We do the little things the Lord shows us to do rather than just kind of sitting around and complaining because everybody else needs to pass us by. The Lord says, I don't have any favorite sons or daughters. I don't have favorites. I just have intimates. I don't have children who, who I love more. I just have children who love me more. I just have children who obey me more. I just have children who want to spend time with me. I have children who, who want to be in my word. I have children who actually believe what I tell them. So you see, it's not about me to you. It's you to me. I haven't changed. I'm the same. Any promise that you see being fulfilled in a brother or sister, you don't have to covet their gifts or covet their lives. But what you can do is be inspired by that to realize I love you the same. And I love to give good gifts to all of my children, so let that inspire you. Don't stay with you. I'm working in the life that is open to me. I come wherever I'm invited. But you need to decide whether or not you want to invite me. I heard a comment by uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson a few months ago. Most of you probably know that name by now, but um, it was on social media, just a little clip there. But he said something that, that kind of been the catalyst for what I want to share this morning. It certainly fits into what we're talking about. And he suggested this. He said, he said when it comes to change or improvement... The problem most often is that you're not aiming low enough. Isn't that encouraging? I mean, just let all that weight just roll off your back. What a wonderful revelation. Tell the person beside you, you're not aiming low enough. Go ahead, encourage them. Aim lower. Tell them, just aim lower. In 2023, you want your life to change? Aim lower. I know you enjoyed that. It doesn't seem to be very hard, but it's not meant to be. You see, what he's saying is this. He says, there's an action that you could take that would lead to actual improvement, but because that action seems so small or inconsequential, you don't bother with it. 
And as people, Pentecostal or charismatic people, we can fall in that camp, and it's unfortunate because there's a lot of folks who want some big thing to happen. Oh, Lord, I just want you to transport me from Egypt into the promised land. Now, the Lord knows when I need that dynamite. He knows in those times when I need things dislodged, and he will do that. But you see, the way you enter in the promised land is you enter in on foot. You don't fly in. You don't get transported in. You walk in. That's what it means to, to walk with the Lord. Step by step, day by day, decision by decision, we walk with the Lord a little at a time as he shows us, and we begin to see this change. Now, don't confuse aiming low with low ambition. That's not the same thing. Aiming low is still aiming up. You see, it's still shooting for something that you can actually attain. So it's not that you're not doing anything, but you recognize it's not just this instant total transformation. It's bit by bit that actually leads to life change in every area of our life. And I said in the first service, I'll say it again. It might sound sacrilegious, but you understand what I mean, is that Jesus is not interested in your spiritual life. Jesus is interested in your life. He's interested in your spirit, your soul, and your body. He's interested in your marriage, your finances, your children, your fears, your worries, your scars. He's interested in every single part of our lives. So he will speak to us in small things because he knows we can't do the big thing all at once. I met a man a number of years ago when I was at the gym at the Y in St. John, probably about 20, 25 years ago. Got to know him, great shape. And he began to share a story with me, and I've shared this before, I think some of you may recall, but he said, Paul, he said, a few years ago, he said, I was sitting in my, my doctor's office, and my doctor said, Mike, he said, if you don't make some serious life changes soon, you will not probably see the end of this year. You're that heavy, you're that out of shape, you're in that poor of health. Well, that kind of lit a fire under him, but his dilemma was, he said, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I began to make some basic changes in my nutrition, I understood that, but he said, physically, he said, I would be exhausted just to move off the couch. I was heavy, I was bloated, I was out of shape, whatever. But he said, I decided I don't want to die. So he said, I decided I'm going to start to walk, see how far I can go. He said, I walked down the stairs, that alone was the chore. I go through my front door, get my breath, and I decide I'm going to walk from here to that first lamppost. I walked to the lamppost, touched it, walked back into my house, went upstairs, sat down, took about 10 minutes to recover. But he said, I did that the next day too, and the next day, and the next day. And when I could, as I was feeling able, I would add a little more, two lampposts, three lampposts, four lampposts, changing my diet, not a crash course, gradually, taking some bad things out, putting some good things in, small steps, decision by decision, day by day, step by step. In 12 months, my friend Mike, had lost over 100 pounds and had just completed a 10K run. From near death on a sofa. You see, it's not that we can't, but here's a simple principle that we often miss in the body of Christ. We try things, oftentimes in our own flesh. We try things, and because we don't succeed right away, we give up. You see, it's not that I can't do it, but what I do through training is what I'll succeed in instead of just trying. I can try all I want. That's not the same thing. But when I give myself to training, consistency, step by step, day by day, in obedience to what the Lord is showing me, then there comes an increase from life to life, strength 
to strength. You see, the need for change that we oftentimes perceive seems overwhelming at the moment because all we see is this vast territory that we've yet to claim. That's why sometimes, again, we've got to listen to the Holy Spirit, not listen to the enemy. We've got to listen to the Word. What does God say in His Word? I don't care what anybody else says. I don't mean that in a, in a negative sense. I just mean I don't want to hear that. I, I don't want to even just hear your experience. I want to hear what does God's Word say? Because you see, whatever God has for me, what he's speaking to my word, his promise is as good as done to those who believe. I'm not talking about just kind of, you know, believing in belief. I'm talking about walking with Jesus and when the time is right and he gives me his word that despite what man may say, let every man be a liar, God is true. God, what are you saying to me? Doesn't matter what the odds are. Doesn't matter what my experience has been. Doesn't matter what I see right in front of me. No. What is the word of God to me? That's why it's so important that our walk with Jesus is not just shallow formulas. It's not just somebody's teaching. Again, those teachings can inspire us. But we've got to, number one, begin with walking with Jesus. I need to spend time in his word to, say what he's, to see what he's going to say to me. I need to spend time in his presence to quiet my heart, listen to the Holy Spirit. I need to record some of the things that he has shown me. Again, that doesn't have to take hours and hours, but it has to be a discipline in my life because the Lord knows when the season is right that he will come to me and say, you've been laying here long enough. In this area, okay? Maybe you're functioning other things in this, but listen, it's time now. It's time. And you need that word from the Lord. Now, we can be encouraged, inspired by others, scriptures, prayers over us. Those are wonderful things. And if people pray over you, prophesy over you, you pray into that and embrace that. God speaks to us that way. But in the quietness of your heart, you need to hear what the Lord is speaking to you. You need a relationship. Again, entering the promise is a walk right? It's not being transported. It's a walk. We walk into the promise the Lord has. And again, a promise is very simply a word that God speaks to us, however small or large it may be. But it's a promise because the Lord who speaks to us cannot lie. And what he says he will do, he will do. So it's as good as a promise to us. That's what it is. So it's not some lofty thing. It's very practical, very rubber meets the road. But we need, when we hear the word of the Lord, don't harden your heart. Just consider this simple principle. Where would you be if for just one year you didn't avoid doing what you know the Lord wants you to do? Where would you be today? Where would you be when the Holy Spirit says, hey, you need to apologize? That you just did it. Rather than letting resentment, rather than pushing feelings down, rather than letting a wall build up, just humble yourselves and, and ask forgiveness. Where would you be today? Where would you be today if financially, rather than just spending, 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 spending again, you'd listen to the Holy Spirit and says, no, you don't need that. I don't want you in debt. I want to keep you free, whatever it may be. See, there could be a thousand different scenarios, but the Lord speaks to all of us. If you know Jesus Christ, you are his sheep, and he says, my sheep know my voice. Now, he didn't say, my sheep obey my voice, because sheep are dumb. They really are. They're stubborn and they're stupid, generally, okay? Now, it doesn't get us off the hook, but we need to learn, okay? We need to grow and understand that we have the propensity to disobey, propensity to argue with the Lord. But maturity, and, and we say this in Cleansing Stream, but I've said it many times before, but if you haven't heard it before, I think it's a wonderful principle. But spiritual maturity has nothing to do with how long it's been since you accepted Jesus in your heart. Spiritual maturity has to do with how quickly do you say yes when Jesus speaks to you. That is the measure of your maturity. That's why there are people who have known Jesus for a year, but they are 10 times more mature than the person who's been in church for 50 years. 
I remember telling the story a long time ago, but the true story of a man who, who actually was in a job. He's been there for three years. And a promotion came up. He applied for it, and he actually got it. Another guy was quite perturbed. He went to the boss and said, I've been here for 10 years. Actually, the guy was only there one year. He said, I've been here for 10 years, and I didn't get the promotion. I'm kind of messing the story up. But here's what the boss said, because the other guy was here for three years. So three and 10. The boss said, no, no, you've been here for 10 years, but you have one year of experience 10 times. This other guy has been here for three years, and he actually has three years' experience. You see the difference? And you see that in your workplace, I'm sure, as well, right? People have been there for a long time, but they don't occupy, they don't really understand what's going on, but maybe you do because you're more diligent in the work you do. The same principle applies in our walk with the Lord. But you see, the key to our spiritual life and growth is we have to learn to actually walk in the light of the truth that we presently know. It's not just about what I know, what I've heard, what I believe. Am I walking in it? Am I walking? You see, I believe that Jesus restores, but am I willing to be part of the restoration process to restore the relationship? I believe Jesus saves. I believe Jesus heals. Do I pray with anyone? You see, I can believe it. I can can acknowledge it, but I don't walk in it. You need to actually walk in the truth that you have, and the Lord will take you to the next step. That's how you possess. That's how you become to occupy. That's how you begin to experience this abundance of life, this fullness of life. The Bible says God's word is like a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. And we know what that means, right? Jesus, who is light, he walks with us. And as he walks with us, he doesn't show us down the path. He shows us one step. Now, we may think, Lord, I want to see the whole path. I want to see what's ahead. And the Lord says, no, 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 you don't. Trust me, you don't. No, because you see, I'm taking you to the end of the path. But if I was to show you all the obstacles that I'm going to bring you through in my timing to get you there, you'd say, no, I'm going to park it right here. Lord, I'm happy. I'm fine. This is 3,000. That's enough. Who needs the other 297,000 square miles? 3,000 is good. Lord says, I have a plan for you, a place that I'm bringing you throughout your life. I want to give you more and more and more, so I will show you what I know you can handle. I will show you a step at a time, and if you walk with me, I will lead you to the next step. And that really speaks of his heart toward me. You see, we live in a culture today where everything is just so fast, everything's so instant, so shallow. But you see, what the Lord wants to work in your life and mine, he's not in a hurry. He's not in a rush. Now, he doesn't want us to drag our feet. But he's not pressuring us. There's not this constant anxiety in serving Jesus. There's freedom. There's joy. But there's consistency. There's consistent gain, consistent growth. And the Lord wants me to walk with him step by step. His promise to you and to me, he says, is I have come to give you life in all its fullness. Not just the entrance. There's so much beyond. And friends, I believe what often happens is the devil will taunt you. He will discourage you. Because he wants you to stop at the 3,000 square mile where the Lord says, I've got 100 times more. 100 times more for you to occupy and enjoy throughout your lifetime. It's not going to happen all in one day, but I have it for your lifetime. Let me give you two scriptures. I begin to wind up here. Two scriptures. Ephesians 4.13. Paul says, here's God's plan for each of us. That we become a mature person, growing until we become what? Like Christ and have his fullness. Now, as I said in the first service, if you study the Greek language, that's not what he meant. Actually, I'm teasing. It's exactly what he meant. (laughs) Exactly what he meant. But let's be honest. We read this, and we just think it's hyperbole. 
Yeah, okay, be like Christ in all his fullness. Yeah, it's a lofty idea, but he's Jesus. <laughs> yeah, but Jesus is in me. Christ in you is the hope of glory. John said, you are Jesus in this world. So it's not that you have, you, you walk, that you have, you, well, let me put it this way, you, that you experience all the fullness right now, but all the fullness is in you. And that's why whenever the Lord in any situation encourage you to step out, hey, I'm just going to highlight something here. I want you to minister something. Oh, Lord, I've never done that. That's okay. Because see, all the fullness is in you. It's not you doing it anyway. And, and once you get over that, it, it really liberates you. You're not going to, I always say this when we talk about folks stepping out and praying for the sick in the streets. You've got to realize they don't expect to get healed. So once you realize that, like there's no pressure. Because they're not expecting anything to happen. But when it happens, whoo, then it's exciting. And the Lord begins to open their heart to share the gospel. So you see, we have the fullness of Christ in us, but the Lord wants that fullness to, in, that, rather the increase, our increase in that fullness. Does that make sense? He wants to move more and more into that fullness as he shows us and as he grows us. So there, here, again, he says, he wants to become like Christ and have his fullness. Now, again, that's not something we make happen on our own. It's not something we have to strive for. It's a gift we receive. And here's what John says, John 1:16. He says, it is from his fullness that we have all received grace upon grace. What does that mean? It means there's a fullness that Jesus gives to me. And it's from his fullness, it's from that fullness that is in me increasing that I grow, that I move into what he has for me, that life begins to happen as he has determined for me. You see, it's there, but it's from him. That's very important because, again, it's not something we look at ourselves and say, yeah, that's not my gift. That's not my personality. I'm not comfortable with that. Never done that before. Lord it doesn't matter. No, no. You see, it's my fullness. You're full of me. You're full of me, and I've given you grace upon grace. Another word for that is one gift after another. And what are those gifts for? To enable to conquer, to enable to drive out the enemy, to enable you to occupy every region of your life that Jesus has for you. But here's one condition. I don't think we have it on the screen, but I'll read it to you. If you want to jot it down, Hebrews 3, 14 to 15. Hebrews 3, 14 to 15, the writer says, if we are faithful to the end, that is consistency step by step, Trusting God just as we did when we first became Christians. Remember when we first became Christian and God could do anything. And then you get all theological and explained away all that he can do and what he can't do. Anyways. I can't say something we're on TV kind of thing or YouTube. I'm not afraid to say it, but it might offend somebody. Anyways. Yeah, not that one. <laughs> I would, but you don't have to live with it. Okay, let me read the scripture again. If we are faithful to the end, trusting God as we did when we first became Christians, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. If we will keep that first love, if we'll keep that magic, that mystery, that, that wonder of what it means to know Jesus and walk with him. He says, but now is the time. Never forget this warning Today, if you hear God's voice speaking to you, do not harden your heart against him. Now is the time. I'm going to read this last quote. I'm going to ask maybe if we can just keep the quote off. 
there's a quote coming up there, Megan, but let's just keep it off for a second if we could. I just want to read it to you. I had a little assignment here, but our time is gone, so I'm going to wrap this up. This is written by a lady who's not a Christian. She's a spiritual person, but I, her insight is interesting, and it's almost more profound than many Christians understand. But here's what she said. I want to read it to you first, then we'll put it on the slide. She said, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that frightens us. Let me say it again. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. You see, my deepest fear at times, even my frustration, is not what I've experienced in the Lord presently. It's understanding there's so much more. I've been made for so much more. And that if I choose to settle for where I am, if I choose to settle for where I'm comfortable, if I choose to settle down because of whatever excuse it may be, whatever experience has taught me, whatever I see in somebody else, whatever I don't see in me, if I choose to make that experience rather than what Jesus is speaking to me, then I'm no different than the crippled man sitting by the water letting my life go by. And I believe with all my heart, moving into this year, I have one simple assignment for you, and that is to get alone with God and say, Lord, and you may already know what it is, but if you don't, what would you speak to me? Write it down. Open his word, quiet your heart, get away from the distractions, take out a journal. What is your word to me, Lord? And he will speak something to you. I'm telling you right now that initially you're going to think is impossible. Your marriage may be dead, but the Lord says it's not dead to me. Your kids may be lost, but the Lord says they've not gone too far for me. Your finances may be a mess. The Lord says I can restore what's been eaten away. You may feel like I've got no spiritual gift. The Lord says, yes, you do. Every single one of you do. Whatever it may be, hear what the Lord is saying to you and then say, Lord, I'm going to stop making excuses. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to take up my mat because I don't want to come back here anymore. I want that life to be behind me. I don't want religion, right? I don't want tradition. I don't want church. What did Jesus say? You need me. You need me. You need me. And that's my simple question to you. Do you know Jesus? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be whole? Right? That's his promise to us. Will you stand with me this morning? As the worship team comes, we close our service. I invite the ministry team to join me. And as they do, feel free to slip out at any time this morning. But over these next just three or four minutes, as the ministry team comes, if you do not know Jesus Christ this morning, I want to invite you very simply to open your heart to him. And all that means is to say, Jesus, please forgive me for living life on my own terms. I recognize that you love me and that I need you. I ask you to come into my life. And if you will do that, the Lord will bring you to the boundary of this new life that he has for you. He says, old things have passed away. Look, everything's brand new. He will bring you into a newness of life in a relationship with him. If that's your heart's desire, would you come this morning before you slip out? We'd just love to pray with you.
Or if you're a believer here this morning, may feel, you know what, the Lord has spoken a word to me. And I just want to step out for 30 seconds and have someone around this altar just agree with me. Because I want to say, yeah, I'm going to start stepping out in this thing, believing for this thing. I'm going to stop listening to the discouraging lies of the enemy who shows me all that's not yet. And instead, I'm going to be mindful of the goodness of God that I've known so far. And I'm going to believe for more. And when the devil mocks you and says, I've got it, then you look at him and you say, in the name of Jesus, in his timing, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. You will leave. You will be driven out. But for now, I'm getting my eyes off you. I'm just walking with Jesus. I'm just going from strength to strength, from glory to glory, for what you have for me. Friends, the Lord wants to establish you. He wants you to occupy your faith. He wants you to know who you are and how to use it. And he wants to bring freedom to others through you because you know how to serve up the gifts that he's made available to you, that he's placed within you. So as we close with this song, just, just do some business with the Holy Spirit in the quietness of your own heart. But if we can pray with you about anything, healing, agreement, whatever, feel free to come. We'd love to pray before you go this morning. God bless you. That's your homework. That's your homework. Amen? What is the Lord saying to you? Lord, what's my purpose? What's my next step? Two simple things. Do that. We won't recognize you next year. Amen. Let me pray for you before we sing. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, oh, for your great and precious promises. I pray, Father, for a spirit of faith to rise up in your people once again. Let God be true and every man a liar. Whatever you've said to us, oh God, we choose to believe. We choose to believe. And I pray for healing and wholeness this morning in every one of our lives. May we leave where we've been, oh God. May we move into a brand new place and begin to experience truly the abundant life that you have for us in your precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to the GT Moncton podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to get the sermon as soon as it's released. If you have any questions or want to get connected, go to gtmoncton.com. For live streams and other videos, check out the GT Moncton YouTube channel and follow us on social media at GT Moncton to stay up to date on what's going on. God bless.